Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going it's going well yeah excited to be back you know a couple coaching courses here over the last couple weeks uh still trying to get riding consistently but that'll come that'll come as the weather improves well and the weather's going to improve because we're going to add add back in some travel in order to get to the slightly better weather yeah yeah it's been interesting here you know as as we get back to some of that you know i'm on the road a bit more Uh, as you say we're traveling a bit next week as well so we're certainly gearing up for that and you know it's it's going to be try and keep these healthy habits moving as we we come into this travel season this summer season and race season it's so funny i used to feel like i had active travel dialed i we literally have a free free vpdf uh on active travel over on consummateathlete.com uh based around sort of these healthy habits when you travel but i have to admit uh our, our last travel back in January, it was our first time kind of back on the road since pretty much for the past two years. And it was definitely a bit of a reminder of how hard it is to uh, to keep healthy stuff going when when you're either like actually in the traveling thing, whether it's, you know, a two day road trip or flight or whatever, or you're just staying somewhere that isn't your house, your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I used to actually say, even going back three or four years, I think I actually have a post on the the stuff that I bring in order to keep healthy habits on the road going. And the, the couple things that I was mentioning were, you know, high quality protein powder, which we've continued to talk about over the years. And actually I mentioned back then a greens powder. Uh, so it's pretty exciting that we get to introduce our new sponsor to the podcast, Athletic Greens, and their AG1 supplement. That's right. Yeah, we've used you know green supplements, and this is one that you know over the last year or so we've really enjoyed using. Like I said, I was away at this coaching course, and it's just nice. You know, we're out eating at restaurants and coffee. <laughs> too much coffee, always too much coffee, and it's nice to know that you're you know getting some of these nutrients that you know often uh, I would be getting through vegetables at you know big heaping vegetables and eggs and stuff at breakfast. You're maybe not getting at the you know motel buffet right so yeah uh, it's good good and I think you know I have a lot of clients who are spending a bunch of money trying to get you know multivitamins and probiotics and all these different things and I think a product like this AG1 that's NSF certified uh, you know pretty clean it's got a lot of these things in it that people are looking for uh, in one convenient product right yeah yeah so it has 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food source superfoods probiotics and adaptogens uh, which honestly I've been really loving and I've tried a lot of different greens powders for me this one really I think it's the only NSF one that I've ever found which uh, if you are a pro athlete or you have any chance of getting tested uh, it's a big deal to find a company that's actually putting out NSF products I mean you know, if you actually look at some of the research on products that aren't third-party tested for uh, anything extra that isn't on their their list, uh, the supplement industry is terrifying. I think it's something like 90% or something of uh, protein powders that aren't NSF or third-party certified have heavy metals in them. So it's actually kind of a terrifying statistic. So finding something that actually uh, definitely has what it says it has in it is a really big deal. Um, and I've the taste is also kind of a major plus because right. I've yeah. tried some grassy o- over the powder. years for sure. There's some that are very hard. You know the stereotypical. You feel like you're 
you know, drinking spinach or kale or something like that. But yeah, it's quite, it's a nice taste and nice sort of shakes up with a bit of foam. And yeah, it's, it's a great sort of morning routine if you like. Yeah. And I've talked about this before. You know, I usually try to start the day with the big glass of water before I go in for my coffee, which is something that my, my registered dietitian I've worked with has told me I need to do in order to keep my cortisol a little lower. Uh, and I think this gives me the sort of impetus to have that big glass of water. So it's, it's forcing me to actually get up and drink that before I get into the rest of my breakfast and my coffee. So I think that's been a huge plus for me. So and it just makes me feel sort of like I'm starting the day on, on that like healthy right foot versus when you get up and the first thing you do is like chug a cup of coffee. That usually doesn't set you up for feeling particularly uh, athletic for the day. And we're all about that, that whole like athletic identity mindset kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving all of our listeners uh, who, who subscribe to it a free one-year supply of the immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase, uh, which is very exciting. The travel packs are super convenient, especially if you're flying. And the vitamin D, weirdly delicious. Uh, would not think about it as a, a dropper thing, but it's super tasty got kind of a minty nice little aftertaste uh, anyway all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash molly h that's athleticgreens.com backslash molly h we decided that was easier than trying to make you spell consummate uh, so athleticgreens.com backslash molly h to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance all right so with that said uh it's actually really awesome that we're having uh, dietitian, nutritionist, cookbook author, Olympic, uh, Olympic food prepper. I'm not really sure what. Yeah, I mean, favorite uh, guest too. You know, a lot of people actually got his book, and uh, when we first had him on the podcast, there maybe last year. Yeah, yeah. So we have Nigel Mitchell back on the podcast. I think he maybe convinced a lot of people to buy a very expensive juicer. So hopefully, anyone who did. Um, has been enjoying it. I definitely looked it up and almost bought it for us, but then I realized... Okay. Well, this one, we get a little into air fryer. So if you're into buying uh, yeah. <laughs> kitchen, uh, what are these called? Appliances? Yeah. Then... We're very short on counter space at our place. So I did not buy the uh, the immersion thing that he talked about in the first episode, but the air fryer, I don't know. We might have to, we might have to consider it. People he made a compelling it. argument. Um, but what was super funny about this is as we recorded, he was actually talking about the Olympic Village and he was just recently in Beijing for the Winter Olympics. Uh, and he talked about bringing greens powder with him because as it turns out, it's actually hard to ironically eat healthy at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And usually he eats, you know, right now he's doing plant based, uh, you know, for a, a second version of his plant based book, uh, which is in the works. Uh, so he's, you know, on a plant-based diet. So he's eating, trying to eat a lot of vegetables and not eat, you know, purposefully not eat a lot of processed foods or ultra processed foods, which is a big thing we get into in this podcast. Uh, so, I mean, typically his diet is very good quality as a dietitian and a chef, but, you know, again, travel works against all of us. If you don't have your, uh, all these fancy appliances and all these fresh ingredients that Europe's, you know, sort of known for, then it's very hard to, to stay on top of that. Yeah, and I do like that he's he's very measured with his plant-based approach, I would say. Um, it You know, we, we always get a little nervous whenever we have any dietitian on who has kind of a slant towards one, you know, certain way of eating or another, um, because we're pretty um, holistic or 
I don't know if I uh, use that word, that's but not the right <laughs> word. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Open to open to most approaches. But well, we and that it's really... flexible for different people and situations and contexts, and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I spent, a, you know, those of you who've heard me talk before, I spent a lot of years as a very unhealthy vegan. So I actually get really stressed when someone mentions plant based, only because like I I'm aware you can do it well, but I'm also very aware of the pitfalls of it. Um, and I think actually Nigel addresses a lot of the pitfalls of it in this episode. Right, and that's yeah, that's really what this second book is really about is you know even some of these foods that we might not think about the plant-based um what are these called like meat substitutes right or or anything you think about vegan sausage or you know they're those things that you sort of end up eating but then they end up being more processed and we talk about sort of this way that these you know processed whole foods you know ultra processed foods there's sort of this categorization uh that is used for that uh and sort of trying to increase the or decrease at least the number of ultra processed foods in that plant-based diet yeah i actually loved we're gonna have another uh cookbook author on in a month or so and i actually just recently talked to her and she uses the term plant forward which is maybe my new favorite uh way of thinking about any of the plant-based things instead of thinking about plant-based think about plant forward and that works with like literally any way you're eating whether you have whether you do eat meat if you eat fish chicken whatever um or you know even just allowing for the quote-unquote junk food or the more carb dense stuff that you're eating during a run or a ride um plant forward really kind of takes away the onus to be strictly plant-based which i really appreciated and i think nigel would agree with that sure and i mean i think the idea is very good i mean i you know lots of people this is the goal is to eat more vegetables right and that's you know i think that's where i really like a lot of these books is because there's some really unique ways that they're using vegetables or nuts or different things that you can actually incorporate into your own cooking Mm -hmm. yeah we should actually include maybe a link back to nigel's first episode with his pistachio gelato because it is one of the niftiest simplest like Mm -hmm. nicest yeah, I'll put those same samples. He had two sample recipes from his his uh, cycling cookbook, which did very well. You can find that on GCN and a couple of different places. Um, but his plant-based book also did quite well. And so we discuss his, he's working on the second plant-based book. And we also get into a, a big calorie bottle. It was like a 2,400 calorie bottle he made for this like gravel racing. And so we talk about that. And so that that could be really useful. And we'll link to the video he did about that bottle as well. You know, I love a good I love a good sports drink. I know they ha- they were out of trend for like a few years, but I I've loved them for a long time. What I do think. you mean sports drink? Uh, there was a time where everyone was all about the eating your real food calories oh, and just putting water right. in your bottles and <laughs> even gels were a little questionable. So I'm I'm actually really glad that we've come back to this place where there isn't one particular way that's the only way of doing things which I deeply appreciate as someone who really can't do solid food as much on a run. So anyway, all right, let's, uh, let's get back into this conversation with Nigel Mitchell. Uh, Enjoy. And if you love this episode, head over to, you know, wherever you're listening to this, give us a rating review or just jump onto Instagram and let us know what, what you liked best. And uh, if you've ended up buying an air fryer after it, (laughs) all right, enjoy. All right, so Nigel Mitchell's back and he is following a plant-based diet. And I want to know more about you're following this because you're working on a second version. A second version, is that the right word for your very successful plant-based? Yeah, follow uh, up. Yeah, yeah. So tell us more. So you're following the diet. Um, yeah. So you can build out this, this book. So I'm following a plant-based 
nice diet uh, so that I've got a from a from a research point of view for this uh, for this book, but also I think it's more authentic uh, and. Uh, I suppose it's like you get method actors or, you know, people who really get in character. I suppose I'm a, a method nutritionist. I like to do what I'm, I'm really thinking about and, and researching at the time. And, it, and, it, and it's really pushing me to be very creative regarding uh, some of the recipes. And so part of what I'm, I'm doing with this is not purposefully avoiding ultra-processed foods uh, but because I am doing a lot of from scratch recipes it means that I would, I'm, I'm probably eating less of them what I, than what I normally would do so I do have some of these in my freezer some of the uh, vegan sausages vegan burgers things like that uh, but while I've been following this plant-based diet I've not uh, not had any of them right and you were saying that the ultra processed foods you know sometimes get you know I, I give the example of a Cheetos or something like that uh, which yeah. would be on the extreme level but would, would you include something like those the vegan sausages or the I guess I would call them fake. Oh, absolutely. They, yeah, they, they, they all fit under the ultra-processed foods. But, but they, this banner, and, and this is one of the criticisms of this Nova, uh, you, you know, we can think, oh, ultra-processed foods, these are all really, really, really bad. And it, it's not necessarily that they're all really bad. Uh, it's just being aware that uh, some of the limitations that some of them some of them uh, may have us uh, uh, from a nutritional perspective, but for sure on some of the plant-based, they, they can provide um, a, an alternative protein source for people, especially when we're looking at some of the, you know, some of, some of the uh, uh, protein contents that you get in some of these foods. Right. I'm thinking like Beyond Meats or some of these big, you know, uh, companies that are out now that are making yeah. the, the protein substitutes. Absolutely. So, yeah. And you're having a lot of people who are, who are choosing to have these in as a who might not necessarily be on on a full vegan plant based diet, but are just want to reduce the amount of uh, of meats in the diet, so they choose. But you know, I think if people are just simplistic, I just want to be healthy. I just want to do this. I just want. I just think it's quite important that people start thinking about some of these choices that they're making, and and you know, going for whole foods. Uh, uh, it might it, it might not make a lot of money for the food industry, and it might not be, uh, and it might be a bit boring. But actually, nutritionally, that's the most sound sound thing right. to do. Right, right. Because some of these processed foods, and again, not all of them. There can be whole foods that could be very bad for you as well. Right. We could probably list a few of these that are either poisonous or, or something like that. Right. Just because it yeah. comes from the ground doesn't mean that it's inherently good. Um, but we, we want to be careful that we're not taking in chemicals or something that's even just so tasty and devoid of nutrition, right? That's the idea with a hyperpalatable is that it, it could be, you yeah, could eat a lot uh, that, and not even realize. Yeah. I think you're at the, uh, the nail on the head there that with some of these foods, they are designed to increase people's food intake. It's the design to, maybe that's unfair to say designed to increase people's food intake they're definitely designed to improve and to increase people's palatability which can then lead to greater food intake which sure. can then lead to greater energy uh more than what people might be requiring from a from a health point of view sure. from a sure. maintenance perspective i don't i think we can say cheetos that's what they were designed for because <laughs> if you're into yeah. or, or chips or what, what you call them are they crisps is that what you would say chips Cri yeah, it's. I mean, you, and again, there's all a range of things, but you know, you you have these completely reconstituted sort of chips and things like that. So they, it, it's it's not a simple thing, and I'm and I'm trying to keep 
keep it as, as, as simple as possible. But for anybody who's really interested, if they do a little search, you, you can get yourself down a real, uh, a real uh, uh, rabbit hole there and spend a long time looking at it. But uh, have a look at the Nova classification of, uh, of foods, but it's really interesting. And some of the, some of the research that's coming out around diets that are predominantly from ultra-processed food is interesting. And, and there was recent data showing in the, uh, I don't know what it is for Canada, maybe I'd have to have a look, but for Canada, uh, sorry, for the US and for the UK, from a national point of view, more than 50% of the energy in people's diet is now coming from ultra-processed foods. And then you have other countries where it's like as low as 8 and 10%. And, right. it, and it is interesting when we look at the rates of obesity in places like the US and uh, uh, and the UK. Right. And it's interesting, you know, it gets into even just the the preparing, which you, you know, you're, a, you like to cook and the, the community around cooking and sharing a meal, right? Sometimes, you know, if we're just grabbing a thing at the gas station and driving, which you can't even really yeah. do too much in Europe still, uh, <laughs> but in, in the US, right? Like we can just grab stuff and we're driving and we're eating in our car alone. It's a very different food environment. Absolutely. And the foods are different as well uh, when, you, when you're traveling. And <clears throat> I mean, that's one of the things when people are following a plant-based diet, uh, where people often have to plan better around when they're traveling. Uh, my personal go-to sort of travel foods or something as a quick snack are uh, some of these, I call them Norwegian crackers, but the sort of the rye and seed crackers. And I'll have that with uh, uh, with a pot of hummus. Uh, I was mentioning to you earlier about going to the US with uh, uh, Alistair Brownlee. I've just been working with him in in the uh, in the labs in in Leeds. So for my lunch, I had some uh, some of these homemade crackers and some homemade hummus for my for my lunch. But you have to be organised to do that. You've got to make right. it, and you've got to be you you know you've got to be purposeful to actually go about doing it. Yeah, the plan, the shop the prepare right there's all these steps before you eat it yeah yeah absolutely and and i recognize a lot of people just don't have the capacity to do to do all of that fair enough well um where do we go to the olympics then now you were you were there you were at the winter olympics it's a crazy year for it to happen so did you know what was what were some of the challenges you know just you said you're not even in we were talking about going to the u.s here but you had to go you know, to the Olympics and lockdown and everything else. So how did you, yeah, I don't know where you want. <laughs> yeah. How, 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 how do you prepare and plan for an Olympics like that? You know, the Olympics alone, but this type of Olympics. So, they were super, super <clears throat> challenging. And my, my role was to basically uh, feed the cross country skier. And feedback that before when they'd been to the Olympics was the whole uh, athlete food all experience wasn't positive, the food wasn't great. And so initially what we wanted to do was to get an apartment outside of the athlete village and uh, then I would have just done all, all the cooking for the guys. Uh, uh, but we weren't allowed to do that because of COVID restrictions. So this was then a case of, right, my job was to go and stay in the athlete village, go to the food hall, look at uh, look at what was the most suitable foods that were there. Take it, take it took away, and then pretty much repurpose it into different meals for the for the athletes. And yeah, I mean, 
which is pretty challenging because you don't know uh, what foods are going to be there. And before I would go in, I was thinking, you know what, I think I'm not that sure that this is so important. Uh, but then when we got there, I could really see what the role was in that the environment within the, the village food hall was, uh, uh, I mean, there was, there's been pictures put out on social media, but it wasn't the most friendly environment because uh, everybody, everything was portioned off into little perspex cubicles. And again, there's been stuff pushed out on social media about the general quality of the food wasn't amazing. Uh, there were, there were, we'd go several days when like the only carbohydrate that were available were rice. And, uh, and so the, there were challenges on, okay, these are some of the best things and this is what we can do. And uh, I mean, when we went out, I took about 20 kilos of porridge oats to make porridge for the guys on the morning. So, you know, that was something that they're very comfortable with and very familiar with. And, uh, and, and so, you know, the, I mean, we, the, the great thing was that the rooms that we had were, were quite spacious. Uh, and normally at the Olympics, you, you, you could be sharing two or three people in the room, but everybody was single occupancy. So that, that actually gave space. So all I had there was a like an Instapot, a, a pressure cooker, and uh, and a Thermomix, and uh, and that were it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. from that, and, and one of the reasons why they thought that it was valuable to do this was that the these athletes were there for the full Olympic Games. So with getting there and acclimatizing to being to the end, they were basically there for three weeks. So if if they're only there for two or three days, it's not really an issue. But when you've got people there for three weeks, it does become more of an issue. Okay. Sounds almost like a game show, right? Like you put four chefs in a thing and make them make a healthy meal for cross-country skiers, you know, (laughs) limited ingredients. Yeah, I think it could be. Yeah, I think Hmm. um, um, it's certainly certainly a challenge and – uh, we we knew that things like vegetables would be uh, a challenge to be getting good quality fresh vegetables all the time. So we had some uh, some of the you know like the greens type products with us to help supplement with that. So so yeah. with a bit of planning and uh, a bit of creativity, then uh, we were able to uh, provide. We, we were able to turn what could have been a negative experience into something quite positive. I was, I saw your greens powder uh, tweet actually. And I was going to ask you about that. Um, like, is that, how do you see those being used? Like, do you see there as a valuable uh, supplement, I guess, in a situation like that, where you just can't have vegetables? Like, is that valid? I mean, you, you do. Yeah, think I, I think so. I mean, I, I first really came across the greens type products, probably, 10, 15 years ago, and we're really quite interested in them from the, on multiple levels. One on when we have got situations where we are struggling to get vegetables, that at least with them, it is providing some of the nutrients that we get within the, the vegetables. Uh, there's, there's lots and lots on the market. We're also quite interested in the alkalizing effects from a gut point of view. Uh, so there's a lot of interest on different levels, but I do think if people are eating a diet where they're getting plenty of fresh 
uh, vegetables on a on a daily basis. There, there's no need for them at all, and you get people who supplement on on these products religiously on a daily basis, and that's cool if that's what people want to do. But I think in situations where the food can be compromised, the quality of food can be compromised, then then I do think that they've got a they've got a place. And and when I'm travelling, and quite often when we're travelling, you know our food our normal food might be disrupted it's not just the day you're traveling it could be when you get there or everything like that we can have this disruption so I, I personally tend to take some with me when I'm traveling anyway just to my uh, just for my own usage so I think for people who are at home and they're able to get all of the the vegetables on a daily basis then I don't I don't think that the uh, that that having them on top is really going to it's not. It's not like you know, where you take extra, you're going to get a super benefit from it. I don't. I don't believe that. But if you if you're in a position where you're not getting the vegetables, then I, th- I think they can help. Sure. Is there anything you do as far as timing or pairing it with anything? Like, do you think with a meal or not a meal? I, I, to, be, to be honest with you, Peter, I've not really thought about okay. it that much. I, I, when when I'm taking them, it's usually as a standalone drink by themselves. You know, it's how. I'll mix them in with some water when I'm when I'm traveling. Uh, the uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, part of the, the, the for the you know they tend to be quite moderate in 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 fiber. So, uh, I think taking with a meal where you might have a bit more could be could be useful. But yeah, I, I just tend to take them when I'm when I'm, I might be at the airport and I'm just stuck there and I think oh have a drink. Yeah, it'd be get good to get water. a bit of green in my body. And the water, yeah, I guess, is a piece it, too, right? It's funny because I remember you what, sorry, Peter. I was just gonna say it's it's also you, it forced people to drink some water with this thing too, right? You're gonna drink a you know a liter of water oh, or whatever. It is. Yeah. But I, I was working at a Tour de France uh, one year and I hadn't taken anything like that with me. And believe it or not, I mean France is a, a great place for food, but quite Often when you're at something like the Tour de France, you don't see balls. And after a few days, we're absolutely craving. And you just didn't get a lot of vegetables there. Okay. Anything else that caught your eye uh, as far as, you know, techniques or tactics or things people were doing that were weird at the Olympics? You know, sometimes you see these like new things from other countries or anything Unfortunately, because of the COVID restrictions, you didn't. There were no mixing whatsoever, so so you didn't get to see anything at all. The only thing that I suppose did see was, I mean, the. the I mean, I, I was thinking, crikey, I don't know how the Italians are going to cope with this, but I did see somebody pushing a trolley into the uh, where the Italians were, and they'd taken a load of pasta and olive oil with them. I saw these on on the trolley, so. <laughs> So I think other countries were doing some things not a million miles away from what we were. But no, but they, it, it, it was a, a bit of a weird experience because we weren't able to see any of the country apart from the complex, the compound that we were in. Uh, so we couldn't do any sightseeing uh, or anything like that, it, 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 which is such a shame because I think China would, be, would have been an amazing country to, to actually have a look at. But I've got to say, the volunteers that were in the village, the Chinese volunteers were just absolutely fantastic people. They were just really, really helpful, really nice. 
and they made the whole experience that little bit uh, that little bit more pleasurable. All right. Well, why don't you tell me now you're going, you know, that was where you were and now you're headed to the U S and you're going to do triathlon with a single athlete. So this is a little different. I imagine it'll be a little less restrictive. So what, uh, what are you anticipating? What, what's the job to be done there for you? <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, the, the Brownlee brothers, Alistair and Johnny for a little over a year and uh, Alistair, is preparing for the World Ironman Championships in St. Georgia, uh, St. George's, sorry, in May. And then he's got a big project where uh, he's looking at breaking this seven hour barrier, this sub seven project, which is quite interesting. So it, it's it, it's not dissimilar to the, you know, the breaking two hour marathon type of projects, but this is end of triathlon. And, uh, and so we're building up to that. So I've been working with him Trisha Bormann's manager, who we've been doing work with for trying is fueling. So we've uh, just been working in the uh, setup, working in the labs at uh, Leeds Beckett's uh, in Yorkshire, so not far from where Alistair lives or where I live. Well, we've been doing some uh, exogenous carbohydrate studies. So this is one of the cool things about my job, Peter. It goes from, you know, boiling potatoes and making porridge to actual sort of uh, 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 physiological science. So it's uh, it's quite what we're doing there is you with the 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 within the uh, the carbohydrate the carbons within the carbohydrate. This uh, particular isotopes that can be measured. So by taking aliquots of expressed air, you can actually measure how much of the carbohydrate that's been metabolized in the body is coming from drinks and how much of it is coming from glycogen within the muscle for most athletes you you wouldn't really need to go to that sort of uh, level but when you've got people that are wanting to you know compete and, and win things like the world Ironman championships really understanding that so that what we're doing is one of the problems with a lot of carbohydrate products is you can consume it, but it might just be staying in the stomach. So what we're able to do is then understand how much of it is actually uh, oxidizing for the work rate that is wanting to work it in the triathlon. Yeah, because they're really, they're maximizing what the gut can do and what the body can do over, I guess, seven hours. Um, it's, yeah, exactly. So yeah, what and, did you find? So you're finding for him, how you know what the right mixture is and then when is it too much? When is it just sitting in the gut? Is that the idea? Yeah, but it's not only that. It's it's also it, it's about the amounts, but also some of the ratios of the different carbohydrates. You know, like the the maltodextrins, the fructose, etc. So we you know we've just been we've not got the data back yet, but uh, uh, the the some of, just looking at some of the initial gas analysis looks quite quite good that we're getting that we're getting uh, some quite good uh, oxidation going up there. So. It's like a lot of things. This is something that we've used in training, and, and Alistair said, "Yeah, he thinks it's working well for him." And normally, when athletes say that, then it's usually pretty right. So we're just just going through some of this lab work just to just to confirm some of that, just so we can maybe turn around and pat ourselves on the back and say we've been really clever. Right, right, right. And I know I, I was looking around, and you have a, a video to make. Is it a twenty four hundred calorie bottle? 
this is tangentially related, I guess, but is, <laughs> is it actually in one bottle, 2,400? Yeah. I'll post the video yeah. for it, but tell us a bit about that because it's sort of the same. Like, how, <laughs> well, the, I mean, the, the, this is, again, the cool thing with working with, uh, uh, with, with elite athletes, you get challenges. And so you then go in, how do we overcome these challenges? And, you know, a lot of people are doing these big, one day or multi-day events, gravel racing and, and things like this. So, you know, it, it can be a challenge. And how do you get the calories for the work that you're doing? And one of the um, uh, one of the, the the things is commercially, the drinks that are made are not really designed for either people taking large volumes or being able to make high concentrations. Uh, a lot of them are really quite acidic, have got a lot of flavorings, et cetera, et cetera. So stripping it right back to basics when we then look at, especially if, you, if, you, if you're going at a, a, uh, um, uh, uh, a lower intensity level, which is much more oxidative, where your body can be burning a lot more fat. So what we've got there is, is something that's got maltodextrin, a bit of fructose, and also medium chain triglycerides. So the medium chain triglycerides are just shorter chains of fats, which are easily easier absorbed through the gut and can be a can be used as an energy source. I mean, it, it, it's they've, they've come and gone in popularity in sport over the years, uh, but it, but it's an easy way to get a few more calories in for the for the volume you've got. So that particular sort of drink, uh, Alistair was going to do the Badlands gravel race down in southern Spain and uh, uh, saying, right, what we're going to do nutritionally, you know. So I said, right, let's make some of, some of this up and, uh, you know, take water as also what you can just snack on. So we did that and uh, it seemed to work really well. And then a few more people were saying, oh, that's quite a cool idea, packing in more calories. So, you, so the concept is that you have like a really high calorie drink and then you have water as well. So you're trying to pack it all, all into, into a bottle. And that but could be like it, a, he probably was wearing like one of these hydration vests or something with straight water or taking feeds for straight. Yeah, water. exactly. Just take, well, with that sort of event, it was quite challenging because you have to pick up water as you're going along. So what we wanted to do was just to minimize the weight for the calories that it were carrying and then get some more food along, along the way. And, and it was, <laughs> for me this is a funny story but to, to see what your uh, listeners think the what what you have on these events everybody has a live tracker so you can literally see them as dots moving around and so you you become a bit obsessed with it so you, you're watching them moving and uh, and there were uh, there were one time i saw that i'd noticed it were like the middle of the day and did not move for about three hours and i'm thinking oh my god he's dead and, and, and basically, it, uh, uh, it tore the side of his tire. And so, and he, you know, he, on tubeless uh, tires, but he'd actually tore the side of it. And he, it took him two hours to get hold of something that he might be able to repair it with uh, before, uh, before he could get going on the bike again. But because he was in the middle of the day and he weren't moving, I'm thinking, oh, he's got heat stroke. He's, he's at the side of the road dying, but he won't. He were actually repairing the, repairing oh, the tire. No. So um, he, he said it was a great experience, but it sounded crazy to me. I almost wonder the classic thing to fix that is either like a dollar bill, if you're in the US especially, or yeah, or you use your energy bar wrapper or something. 
So I wonder, maybe yeah. maybe the bottle actually was the reason he didn't have the energy bar. <laughs> it could be, it could be. But I mean, I there's a there's another technique that my mother taught me as a as a as a child. If you're really desperate, one one of the things you can do is is stuff your tire with grass, and uh, and that will just stop it from from rimming out as well. Yeah, and that's um, you know I I've actually used that once. I remember a lot, it didn't work. <laughs> didn't work amazing but i did it um, yeah well, i don't think it, i don't think it's amazing but, i mean i've done it once myself but the but the whole idea of going to support alistair out there is really uh they i'd say it's like an 8 to 20 sort of job where 80 percent of it is just providing the food just doing the cooking just making sure that the food's uh the right sort of food at the right sort of time so it just reduces the overall load and stress on the athlete when you know they're training like you know nearly 30 hours a week at uh, 2000 meters you the last thing you want to be doing is going to the shop and 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 cooking a nutritious meal and then there's a little bit of sports science as well that i'll be doing just about monitoring the hydration tw- doing some uh, some measurements around bloods and things like that but but the vast majority of the work is will be cooking and uh, and then and there's a as a dietitian, as a nutritionist, I feel this is where I can impact more on athletes is actually working in this way. The way that I worked at the at the Olympics, the way that I'm working with Alistair is to take that real sort of underpinning nutrition knowledge and put it into food. And I think that it's really easy to advise people, you know, eat this for breakfast, eat this for lunch, eat this for your evening meal. It's really easy. But again, you know, re- research we've been involved in when we're looking at barriers to good nutrition with athletes really shows that very often athletes just don't have the time, they don't have the capacity, just like the rest of us. Right. And when that happens, the thing that tends to be squeezed is the quality of the food that people eat. It's not that people haven't got an awareness, it's that people just do not have the capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And we've we looked a little bit here starting in that way, right? Where you can keep hitting them over the head with vegetables and protein and vegetables and protein and carbs per hour. But yeah, it's, you know, for kids too, it's like the parents have to get educated and then you go into actual cooking skills. Uh, but like you say, putting you in the, in the place is sort of the, the best way to get around it, I guess, especially for the elites. I think it, yeah. I think it's the, uh, it, it's the best solution. And and yeah, I mean, when when you look at athletes who are full time athletes today, the vast majority of them have got quite good appreciation and and, and knowledge of what type of foods they should be eating. And then I'd say maybe only twenty percent have got the overall range of being able to do everything, to do all of the training and do all of the supplementary stuff around it and also do all the food as well. Uh, they, I think it's a really, really big challenge for the majority. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Cause it's like, you could say the same thing and just look at training on its own, but we know that training is not the only determinant of these, especially something like the Iron Man, right? There's technique, there's, you know, the fueling. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like some athletes probably could do it on their own, but those are, you know, these like world-class whatever genetic freaks or, or however you want to describe them but yeah then the rest sort of need that that help right yeah and yeah i mean some of the work i do is with the uh olympic sailing team and this is a fascinating 
sport. I mean, for for a lot of your listeners, they might not think of the physical side of the sport like uh, sailing, but in particular, the uh, the old RSX, the windsurfing has gone, and we've now gone to this IQ foil, which is basically you know they they come out of the water and they're like flying and they're they're just incredible but as a result the athletes are needing to be about 15 kilograms heavier than what they used to be and so you've got a big challenge there where people are trying to really increase the mass and maintain that well one of the interesting things with the sailing is that in paris the windsurfing event has, has changed from a, the, the RSX windsurf to what's called an IQ foil. So the foils is like the super trendy uh, sort of water sports where basically it's the same concept as, as uh, an aeroplane wing, uh, but underwater. So, so when you get to a certain speed, you lift out of the water and you're flying in, in effect. And they, these are unbelievably fast. But as a consequence, the athletes are needing to be about 15 kilos heavier. So there's a big program at the moment on increasing the mass with these athletes. And the challenge has also been around maintaining that mass. And are they looking to, like, they want them to be more muscular, probably, I would assume. It's not just, you know, here, eat a bunch of food. But is, is that a piece of it as well, that they need to be stronger to, like, control the boat? Function element, and there's a... a and there's a big element just on mass. So what we see with these athletes is they are getting bigger and stronger, but they're certainly carrying a little bit more body fat. And we'll probably, in two or three Olympic cycles time, we'll probably see a slightly different athlete. But the, the key thing at the moment is to be strong, to be fit, to be bigger. And uh, it will take a while until we've got the perfect sort of uh, athlete for that. So, yeah, some of the some of the athletes are not looking as much athletes as what, as, as what you think. But, the, but you know, they... They, they, they are in, incredibly strong. I mean, there was a, an event not long ago where they were doing an endurance event sailing around Lanzarote. And when we were looking at some of the heart rate data on some of the athletes, then they're the burning as much as a thousand calories per hour on the water. So for anybody who, who looks at the energy usage and this, well, you know, I think, was, I think it was something like, uh, I don't want to say exactly, but I think it was like six or eight hours, this event. Wow. It was a long event. Yeah. And you've got pink you know, so this is this is so like they, a hundred hundred miler gravel race right there. Yeah. 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 They, they, these are serious athletes. <laughs> when you're burning that that amount of energy and you're working for that length of time. Well, we love all the different sports. So that's thank you for that. Um and I also liked the stories where like, like that little tidbit you gave us that like in a couple of years, you know, or a decade, you know, a new generation of athletes, we might see that evolve, like who is doing that sport. Absolutely. And that's one of the cool things with sport. Things change all the time. Yeah. I wanted to tie back to the sports drink. So we talked about your 2,400 calorie drink bottle, uh, you know, extreme example, but yeah, I think maybe not obvious to the listener or, or some people, we have a question, you know, could I just get my white sugar, you know, that I make my cookies with and just pour that into the bottle, you know, measure out 2,400 calories of white sugar. Is that, does that work or, or what's the problem with that? Yeah. I mean, to, to be honest with you, a lot of sports drinks, that's all they're made of, is just uh, sucrose. Uh, sucrose is, uh, you know, it's a, a disaccharide, two sugar molecules stuck together, fructose and glucose. And there's been a lot of sports drinks around for a long time, and that's been the basis of them. Uh, when we're looking at that really high calorie 
drink they'll put together there. We're using uh, maltodextrin, which is basically a chain of glucose stuck together. So what's the, the pros and the cons? Uh, basically one of the issues if we're just going for the for the white sugar mixture is that it's each each sugar molecule is what we call a uh, uh, an, an osmotically active particle and because of that then that concentration of it could be really a high concentration for the for the stomach and and might really struggle with that also because it's half fructose and half glucose once it's digested uh, you might have a massive sort of fructose load there that some people might struggle a little bit with. But so the the sort of the the bottle I will bring together were more based on more technical carbohydrate, uh, which I think would be more successful. But to be really honest, if somebody wanted to give it a go just with the white sugar, uh, it'd be interesting to see how, how they get on. It's not something I would uh, I would advocate, uh, but. It's, uh, once the carbohydrates digested and it's in the blood, then it, the body doesn't really know where it's come from. It doesn't know if it's come from from sugar or if it or, or if it's come from a potato. Well, let's let's say because again, it depends on the use. Like Alistair would be just burning those calories. Like he could be up at ninety grams, so his yeah uh, intake would be high. But but if someone were doing say two hundred calories an hour, so they're doing a twelve hour race, they put twenty four hundred in a bottle. Let's assume it doesn't go bad or spoil or get gross yeah. and syrupy. But they're they're almost treating it like a gel. Then, like, do you think that that would work okay at about two hundred an hour? So let me work that out. So that'd be like fifty grams of carbohydrate, um, right. and we're saying uh, 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 sucrose versus the sort of more technical. Uh, I think if people practice with it, I don't think they'd notice much difference. To be honest with you, I'd, I'd not considered it. Yeah. Some more, I think more of the technical side. Uh, right. uh, you know, some, somebody might might not struggle with that. They might they might be fine, but you'd want to practice it. You probably want to wind it down a little bit further to start off at maybe hundred calories per hour, use it in training and build it up. Uh, but they might not have any problems at all, especially if they're going at a lower intensity. Yeah, and then I'm wondering, you know, most people wouldn't need twelve hours of that, so you know, you might be more like an yeah. eight hundred calorie, and then like you say, you have a pack of straight water yeah. or something, and. Probably yeah, yeah, yeah. You could. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good point to raise. You could, somebody could give it a go. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, but a lot. Sorry, but a lot. There's a lot of sports drinks on the market, but people will use quite high concentrations with all the flavourings and the colourings. They are just sucrose based. They're just, you know, the that that's what they are. Yeah. And they're quite, you know, some of the best selling, uh, uh, some of the biggest selling uh, uh, drinks on the market. That's all they are. Is just sucrose based. Mm. How do you feel? I don't know if maple syrup is big over there. It's obviously big here uh, and it's becoming trendier in, I guess the U S demand has gone huge. Um, so we're actually Canada. We're like locking down all our, all our reserves. We have reserves for maple syrup. Uh, so we're being very uh, careful with those. So all that to say, what do you think? Do you know anything about maple syrup and putting those, not in these, not in a 2400, but if I was just going to do 200 calories, a bottle, similar to like a Gatorade type thing, do you see any problems with maple syrup? Yeah. So, and, and, to, to be really, really honest, I, sh I should have done a bit more research about ma maple syrup. I was looking into maple syrup a few weeks ago, uh, but uh, maple syrup is basically, you know, the sap from the maple tree, which is then boiled down and concentrated. So I think it it, it really depends on on what that uh, uh, that sugar is. So I believe that the, the vast majority of the sugar in it is fructose, and uh, 
the uh, the you know a little bit like with uh, with honey. On a taste point of view, I absolutely love maple syrup. And just a little diversion story is I used to work with uh, Rusty Woods, Mike Woods, the cyclist, who, who's Canadian, uh, very proud Canadian. Yes. And he used to bring real, this is one of the cool things with cycling is a lot of the riders will bring some of their foods from home. So he used to bring like, you know, half a litre of maple syrup to the start of the big race and everybody would just, it, it wouldn't last long at all. <laughs> but, but, and, and then, and, uh, but then the, uh, the thing with it is, is with it being just, it, it, uh, with it being fructose, and as I say, I believe it, I believe it's fructose, and that's one of the reasons why it's so sweet. Fructose is, is more sweet than, than glucose. Um, the, the, uh, the issue, what you can have if you're having a large amount of it, uh, especially if, the, if there's a lot of stress on the gut, is some people can have a bit of a, uh, not, I won't say intolerance, but, that some people might not be able to absorb that amount of the of, of the fructose, and fructose also is uh, because to get it into the blood, it's converted in the liver to glucose, and and because of that, it has a lower glycemic index. So this is one of the paradoxes actually with sugar is it doesn't necessarily spike people's blood sugars like a lot of people think it does because of the fructose element to it. So you might not get as as good a delivery if you were just having things like maple syrup. Uh, bring, bring saying, saying all of that, if people were just wanting something where they may be having 20 grams of carbohydrate and they're just wanting just to keep that little top up, putting something like that in the bowl is not, is not really going to be any different to having just a sports drink, to be perfectly honest. Right. Right. Yeah. It strikes me and that, the map, yeah, it strikes me that probably the price keeps it from <laughs> ever, uh, you know, ever being consumed at the level we're talking about with this white sugar or, or even something like uh, maltodextrin. Yeah. I mean, well, one of the things that one of the soigneurs used to do with Chris Froome on Tate, on Tate, on the, uh, on uh, Tenerife, uh, uh, he used to make up uh, lemon, some lemon juice with uh, a spoonful of honey when, Chris were just doing some long sort of controlled carbohydrate rides and, and uh, you know, honey, uh, the, uh, uh, the lemon will provide some electrolytes. I, I like, instead of using a lot of these electrolyte tabs, I like to use things like lemon juice with a little bit of salt mm -hmm. with athletes uh, just to keep it that little bit simpler. So it's interesting what you're saying, you know, these things do actually get used in the, in the, in the pro world as well. Yeah. Yeah. I also just like the shake of salt in the, the bottle. I find it sometimes hard to just like, it's right there. It's salt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think a lot of these electrolyte tabs can be super useful for people, but you know, you, if you've got people who are using large volumes, then just using a bit of salt and things like some uh, lemon juice or a bit of pineapple juice, I think can be a little bit easier. Mm on the on the stomach and and provide what people need have you seen as far as trends sodium seems like it's like back in in trend now where it's like way higher sodium and like nothing has enough sodium what do you have you been doing anything with that or what do you think uh, for the for the type of athletes i work with i'm um I, I tend to try and focus in on how much sodium they 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 actually uh, require uh back in whew, the mid noughties uh, there were uh, high sodium were really, really, really popular. 
and there were a lot of issues of uh, with that with people in bike racing um one of the interesting things i mean and this is i mean we're sorry took the time uh, but it's now in the literature that as people become more eat acclimatized then the sodium concentration in, in in their sweat reduces and so in effect if you become really well acclimatized your sodium requirements become a little bit lower and um, what they were doing back then was they were doing really high sodium loads and people were gaining, I spoke to people who gained as much as three kilograms uh, through a grand tour where they were just filling up with, with water. Um, I think that uh, uh, things like sodium does come and go a little bit in trends. And as you say, it is popular again at the moment, it may be because of all the monitoring that goes around with it. I'm, I'm not that sure, but like, again, when I'm when I'm working with a athlete like Alistair, we we actually we we do uh, uh, we look at the sodium content in this in this sweat when he's not eat acclimatized, and then we look at it when it becomes eat acclimatized, so we can actually titrate that sodium content that little bit more precisely. Makes sense. Makes sense. I have a couple of final rapid fire questions. Are you okay for time? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, a couple of other listener ones, and just I think should be quick. But uh, with rice cakes, you have rice cakes, a couple different recipes in your books. Um, what do you think of? You know, sometimes they're big batches, right? You got a big cookie tray or whatever of them. Uh, okay yeah. to freeze those, and and any guidelines or no, no, no. Unfortunately, not. They don't freeze. The freezing process basically dries the the starch grains. So now they, okay. you can't freeze them. Make make a smaller batch. Well, Make a smaller batch. That's or maybe the, you yeah. have some other things that are more like pancake cookie type things, I believe too, right? Something like that, like ride food that's not rice-based? Yeah. So, I mean, well, I've, to be, again, to be honest, uh, uh, rice-based are, are really, really good ride foods. But, you know, things like uh, uh, flapjacks uh, can be good alternative uh, ride foods. But bananas are a great, a great ride food as well. Or even making things like uh, uh, little sandwiches, paninis uh, can be good. Can be a good ride food. Okay, this one was about your rocket fuel mix. And is the rocket fuel mix the race bars, or um, what is the rocket fuel mix? No, it's the it's the it's the high energy the two thousand oh, uh, plus. Okay, power. okay. Well, this will this will be good. So I have that uh, the the video you made for that. Can people add protein yeah. powder was the question for this. Can you add protein? And, and I, I'm sort of wondering why you would, but what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's not, I mean, if you, if you are doing something that's going to be a long time, like six hours plus having a bit of protein is not a bad idea just to help, help protect a bit of the lean tissue. Um, you mentioned you had branch chain amino acids though, or no? No, no, no. Did you see that? It mixed, no, it, well, MCT. It was the fatty acids. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yep. medium chain triglyceride. <laughs> Uh, I, I would say not because I think that it's pretty concentrated as it is. I think if if you do want to take it, <laughs> yeah, that's the last little bit. Yeah, it's all I sugar. Think, and... <laughs> I think that uh, having uh, uh, taken a bar or something like that with you, which might have a bit of protein in, but I can certainly understand why somebody might want a little bit of protein in there. Uh, but I think for that drink, it will be too concentrated to try and add some protein to it. Okay. All right. Uh, we covered the greens powder. I think that might've been, oh, oh, sorry. And then the air fryer. Have you tried yeah. an air fryer? What do you think about air fryers? Yeah. I, I especially when I'm on a plant-based diet, I love air fryers. And uh, they, I mean, they, they, they are rubbish if you are trying to mimic 
making things like uh, uh, French fries or anything like that. They're just okay. they're just not right. <laughs> it's not the same. Don't, yeah, don't it's not the same. <laughs> but they they are, they are. I think they're really good for. Uh, uh, I don't know if other people struggle a bit when they're cooking tofu without really putting loads and frying it really really heavy. Uh, so I, I find. With things like tofu, it's a really nice way to, you know, marinate the tofu and then cook it in an air fryer, I find works really, really well. Uh, I also find it's pretty good for sort of uh, reheating some foods that you might want to fry, but you don't want to fry them. So I find it quite, quite good for that. Uh, so I, I tried pizza. I don't know how much pizza you eat, but I, I heard leftover pizza in one of these things is just that's the thing. I, I will try that now. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I mean, I, I, well, one of the, so, so if, you are, if you have a look in that cycling cookbook, there's a, there's a whole section on, uh, 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 on bread and pizza. So I, I'm just looking out in my garden now and I'm looking at my wood burning pizza oven. Ooh. And, uh, and so that like when I do pizza, it's very much like an Italian style pizza. I'll either in the book, I do a sourdough recipe that sometimes at home I'll do where I'm uh, uh, fermenting the doing the the dough for like five days. It has a similar effect, so you hydrolyze a lot of the gluten, so it's a lot easier on the on the stomach. Um, so I, I think I've been I must have been one of the first people in in Yorkshire to have wood burning pizza ovens, and so in that book I tell a story about Chris Broom coming and staying at my house and going for a run, and then we made pizza in the pizza oven. Just sounds amazing. Yeah, you're like now I want pizza. <laughs> we're coming. We're coming to your garden. <laughs> but, oh, you're more than welcome. Oh, you and Molly you. would be more than welcome. We've got some great riding round here, Peter. We've got this. Uh, yeah, it's great. But the, but I mean, for me, the, the the people think of pizza as being really unhealthy, but it doesn't have to be at all. I mean, one one of the things at the moment with the bean plant base. Uh, I make pizza once, at least once a week and my kids come round and my wife as they enjoys the pizza and I'm doing, uh, I'm just doing uh, plant-based pizza. Uh, I've got to be honest, for me, it's not quite the same, but it's still really quite nice. So I'm just, I'm developing different sort of toppings. I've done one which is with pistachio nuts and, and avocado that are mixed together, oh, wow. which is quite, which is quite nice. Uh, and I'm And I'm purposefully not using things like the, uh, vegan cheeses, uh, because uh, as I say, I'm trying to trying to avoid within this within this research, uh, just getting all these ultra processed things. Well, that's amazing. I think that's a great. Everyone's hungry now, so we probably should wrap it up here and let everyone go and, and make their <laughs> their own homemade pizza. Um, awesome. I will link to both of those books. We look forward to hearing about the the second plant based book as well. Uh, is there anything else people should know about? Well, the oh, Twitter yeah. account will put all these videos to the different recipes you've done. Anything else that comes to mind that we've missed? No, not not really. It's been really enjoyable talking. I mean, I think we've probably jumped around a little bit. So I hope that your I hope that your uh, uh, your listeners have enjoyed it. And you know, the main oh, thing they can about keep going, up. they can yeah, keep up. I'm and sure we'll link that. to the previous episode if they want more info about your your backstory and that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, well, we spoke quite a bit there about gut health last time, which is a big mm-hmm. one. So, so and juicing. Great. Everyone was into juicing. the juicing. <laughs> yeah, the juicing. And the, well, that, again, one of the things I did out in uh, in Beijing on the morning, I was making uh, um, uh, ginger shots every morning for the athletes. I'm not, I try, I'm like juicing, ah, come on. But I love ginger shots so much. <laughs> it's so easy to do. 
it's yeah. just so easy. So yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nigel. Thank you very much, Peter. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.